Hello and welcome to another edition of Their Giants Podcast. I'm, as always, your host, Roger Munter, and I'm really thrilled with uh, today's show. I have joining me uh, Chris Langan, the director of pitching from Driveline Baseball, which is a name, uh, a brand that kind of all baseball fans are now associating with really dramatic improvement in uh, player performance uh, of the sort that that would have been considered kind of miraculous uh, for most of my baseball following life. Uh, so I'm really excited to have some time to to talk with Chris about uh, pulling back the curtain and seeing what they do up at Driveline. Chris, thanks so much for taking some time to talk baseball with me. How are how are things up in the great uh, Pacific Northwest? Hey, I actually lucked in. I'm, I'm in Arizona right now, so ah. uh, nothing against the Pacific Northwest, but uh, that's a very seasonal place to be. I'll put it in the summer. It's beautiful, but right now uh, there's a reason spring training is in Arizona. I'll, I'll put it that way. That's for sure. Do you, do you guys get uh, any 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 slowdown in work as uh, players start reporting to camp? I know you deal with uh, you know players in all all parts of their their professional journeys, but do you have a slowdown when spring training starts? Yeah, for sure. Especially this year, I think uh, we've always had big leaguers come in, but I think with the addition of Arizona, um, almost kind of maybe shocked us a little bit. But but we got such a incredible amount of volume that we. To a certain degree, we almost didn't have the systems in place to to handle it in a weird way. So we know that that's something we've got to um, kind of get get cooking for the next off season. But I would say this year is probably the biggest one where it was like, you know, holy cow, this is a seasonal job because of the amount of people that walked in um, during that time period. And then you kind of get a little bit of a breath here um, until the summer starts for those college guys for most of our departments. So. Yeah. Well, I, so obviously we're going to talk uh, pitching development. We're going to talk driveline today. But uh, before we get into that, I, I, I want to ask you a little bit about kind of your personal journey to to driveline, to baseball. Uh, I think one of the fascinating things that's been going on in, in the industry uh, the last few years is sort of the the incredible breadth of areas that we're bringing talent into the game from. I, I was at a, a Sabre event not long ago where one of the presenters uh, worked for a team and, and literally his previous employer was NASA. I think he worked on a, on, on the space you know station. Um, so just share us a little bit about your kind of professional baseball journey and, and how you came to where you are. Yeah, well, certainly uh, you anchored me a little bit there. It's not going to be as impressive as NASA. Uh, <laughs> it's really quite unimpressive, um, but maybe speaks to how the game has changed a little bit. Um, you know, I started uh, when I grew up, I basically grew up with a dad, which just gives some perspective to say uh, not a lot of good cooking going on by me uh, in the household. And then also sports were just extremely valuable, like probably over uh, over indexed on how important sports actually were at that age. Um but it was kind of everything. Uh, I grew up in Nebraska through about in the mid eighties, thought I was better than I was. Cause you know, there's like 50 people in Nebraska. So the competition isn't as good as <laughs> you'll see around the other States. Um, played junior college, preferred to throw harder. That's how I first started digging into some driveline stuff. So it really started as a player trying to throw harder, um, got a little bit of velo, but then dealt with some injuries, knees, some other things. And during that time period, um, it was just very frustrating because I always wanted to play and I felt like there was, you know, people were kind of taking it for granted. So eventually coaching ended up kind of being the thing because you can kind of do that forever. You don't have to wait for your body uh, to recover, things like that. Um, and so I coached at a school called Marshalltown, a junior college that had a, a 10 ERA. 
uh, the year before I was there, to be honest with you. Uh, and I got like $4,000 um, to do that. And I had, I had sent out a, a lot of emails. I coached Legion for four years before that. Um, so I was tickled to death to, to get that opportunity when I did. Um, and then from there, Driveline started basically a coaching certification course. I made sure to sign up for that immediately. Um, I went down for what I wanted, I think was the second one at the time. And when I went down there, I visited the facility the following day, overstayed my welcome probably by about six, seven hours, um, <laughs> but talked to talked to a lot of people. Uh, they were kind of going through their, what I would consider the first uh, stretch of like, holy cow, driveline's being coached. Um, right. Wrote a, wrote a blog that probably, to be honest, it took me a hundred hours. I didn't know how to code, um, but it was about junior college uh, analytics and developing pitchers. It got back to them. I got hired. Um, and, and I've been here for about three and a half years since then. Are, are a lot of your uh, uh, colleagues sort of, Former athletes, is that how a lot of people are getting into um, uh, into your side of things? Yeah, it's kind of fun. I would never – that's probably the first time somebody's called me like a former athlete. It's kind of fun. I'm so <laughs> detached from what, uh, you know, the guys I work with and how impressive their careers have been. Um, but I'd say driveline is probably a little bit more, uh, relatively speaking, uh, guys with that they played, they weren't that great. There's probably a little bit more of that. Um you know, so it, it yeah, they, they typically have a baseball, you know, they've at least played high school or college, right. um, but it's typically, that's not, you know, that's not necessarily, if you, if you took drivelines, you know, pitching trainers, ERA over the last four years, it, it sure as hell ain't going to you know, suggest there was <laughs> much going on there that was impressive, so. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I had a, a graduating class in my high school of 88, which made it really easy to play kind of all the sports you wanted. And uh, it's actually a nice way to grow up. Um, well, let, let's start with kind of big picture. Um, and and you're on the pitching side of driveline. Obviously, uh, driveline does uh, hitting too. We know like Lars Newtbar kind of increasing his exit velocity and, and Gavin Lux. There's a lot of hitting stuff going on, but we're going to talk pitching today. What are the areas where you have discovered or, you know, driveline has discovered that you really know you can improve players' performance? I, I think velocity is the one that kind of, you know, captures people's interest. But there's so much more, right, that you and really granular stuff that you've sort of identified that you can improve player performance. What are the kind of big things for you where you know, yeah, if someone comes into us lacking this, we can help them? Sure. Uh you know, always velocity. I, I won't get into that like a too too much, but obviously you've got to have a little bit of a back and forth there. Um, with our motion capture stuff, we can kind of see how the body's moving. We have so many uh, samples of that now that we have a pretty good database to kind of see the correlations and see what kind of the big return on investments are there mechanically. Um, so always kind of looking at that. I think I think in terms of the things and like compared to maybe like five, six years ago, I would say on the pitch design side, the arsenal side, there's really just, I mean, we're, I mean, to be truthful with you, I'll, I'll kind of recruit guys because I'm so, uh, you know, and it's really just data. I'm not saying I'm like, you know, terrific or anything, but there is so much information now that you can, without even a, like knowing the guy, you can be like, this is what I do with this guy instantly. And I think, you know, within like a, you know, plus or minus some type of range, he can get to this profile just with a grip switch. And you can kind of, quantify all of these things teams have access to it on a pitch by pitch level uh, where they can see the grips the guys using how the ball's coming out of the hand how much is it moving out of the hand and then how much is it moving essentially late or uh, without like spin induced movement 
And you can basically reverse engineer all this stuff and probably pretty quickly come to a prediction of like what this guy's like sweeper would look like, what his, if he tried to throw a curveball, what it would look like. Um, so there's really a lot of things now where you can kind of um, predict how a pitch design session would look. And then really what I'm getting at is you've got players that aren't optimizing it as well as other players are. So I think that's probably the biggest thing over the last three or four years with, with Hawkeye in 2020, that's when all of this stuff really started being able to be more quantified. You know, there's, there's a famous, you know, probably apocryphal story of, of Tom Glavin the one time early in his career uh, was shagging balls in the, in the outfield and, and picked a ball up and threw it in and, and decided he really liked that grip uh, and, and played around with it. And that's how he discovered the, the changeup that ended up taking him to the hall of fame. I, I mean, it seems like, what's going on now with you guys is you can create that experience for every pitcher with like every possible grip uh, within a concentrated period of time. So it's, 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 uh, it's also like guys are going to the multiverse and they can find the best version of, of themselves possible through your technology. How did we get here? Can you like, obviously Hawkeye was a big part of it, but what were the sort of the insights or the advancements, either technology or, or data information that brought us to this point where we can, as you say, reverse engineer, you know, the best version of, of any pitcher. Yeah. I mean, obviously the data obviously as well, just the influx of front offices that thought this way. And then the coaches sort of were the natural next man up for that as well like it you know there's and you'll still see this happen where the front office has like this very strong intellect so to speak of uh probabilistic thinking whatever it may be and then sometimes the coaches that message doesn't ever get down and then the coaches are ultimately the ones who influence those actual outcomes but i think basically having more of those types of people involved has put more demand on getting this type of stuff into the game and then now you know, maybe, maybe this Hawkeye isn't introduced until like 2024 without people caring that much about it. You know what I mean? That's kind of the main thing I'd say. Um, and then with that, I think it's just, to be frank, a lot of people trying to figure out how to add value uh, as coaches, as front offices. And really the biggest thing is, as you said before, when guys learn to pitch, the coach would have had like one guy who, or he himself, who really threw a, a good change up this one time with this one grip and every single player got that grip and it did work, you know, for a couple guys, but uh, it was very difficult to sit there as a coach and think, well, it worked so well for that guy. Why would I deviate from this plan for another guy? And now with this information where we've got so much samples of different grips, different spin efficiencies uh, where you can really narrow it down to like, Hey, this guy's probably, if we're shooting for the best stuff pitch for this guy, which would be like the nastiest pitch, uh, you've got to filter by like arm angle, his natural spin efficiency. You grab your two or three grips. Um, you've got your little cue list of how you tell him to try to throw the ball. Um, and, and really, it's just narrowed down a ton because of people wanting to hire and that type of information being valued in the game. Well, uh, let's take some specific examples. Obviously, the people listening to the show are, are Giants fans. Uh, Alex Cobb came up to you guys uh, when he was free agent a couple of years ago. Uh, Shamanaya worked with you this winter. Um, you take, say Alex Cobb comes to you, how do you break down kind of where you can help him improve his game? And, and, and maybe a follow-up question that is, you know, how much of that is a, is an intellectual partnership with the, with the pitcher himself when, when guys come to you? 
So basically, how much can we like give away? Is that what you're saying? Uh, well, I, I, I don't want you. To, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I want you. To, I don't want you to give away secrets, but kind of if you can use specific examples to go through uh, more granularly what the process is of how do I look at this guy? How do I work with the pitcher or maybe the team behind the pitcher um, uh, and get the results that 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 the player wants? Right. Um, well, I can give you a little bit of just like, you know, if it's public data, it doesn't really matter. You know what I mean? Like it's, everybody has access to it. Uh, but, but for one Cobb worked with Bill before. So our previous director, I got the director pitching job right at the beginning of the soft season. And our previous director got the assistant pitching coach job at the angels. So Cobb had a previous relationship with, with mm-hmm. Bill and then stayed on. So the velocity that kind of came last year, obviously, you know, a product of Cobb mainly, but. Also, Bill was kind of the the person who probably Cobb had the most trust in. Um, so it was cool to see him see him stick on. So this year is more about maintaining that velocity, making sure you don't go down. And then uh, basically, his, he's one of the few starters in the league last three years who struck out more lefties than righties. So to, to put it like pretty simply, it was just like, hey, you should you know, there's some characteristics with your curveball with how firm it is and how much topspin is on it. If you took uh, this grip and you threw it a little bit harder this pitch would be called slider and it's pretty good against righties. Um, <laughs> so that, that's like most of that, I would say. Um, so I, I think you, you had some, uh, another question there I may have missed. Uh, well, well, that's okay. My mind moves quickly. Um, but <laughs> as you're, as you're talking about Alex, one thing that pops into my mind is, you know, he's coming to you. He's a guy in his sort of mid thirties. Uh, you know, he's trying to sort of hold off father time, um, how is working with somebody uh, in his part of the aging curve different from maybe working with college kids or, or prospects or, you know, young people in the twenties just starting out are the challenges of what you're trying to accomplish different at different parts of the aging curve? Man, that's it. I always think it comes back to training age, training age versus chronological age. Like Manaya, I'm sure you're going to ask something about Manaya, but like Manaya was somebody when he came in, right? Like I don't, I don't actually know this until he comes in and I talk to him, but it was very clear to me that his training age was not anywhere near what his like actual age was. So in a sense, you kind of assume these guys who are, are big leaguers, uh, you know, have played this long, uh, have kind of like trialed some of these things or, have you know, kind of like gone in off season, like trying to throw the ball extremely hard. But uh-huh. for Sean, like, uh, it, you know, and then you look at his mocap stuff, it was just like, Hey, this, this guy, if he was like 21, I'd believe it in a sense. You know what I mean? In terms of like how much he's trained throwing the ball, at least from that standpoint. So uh, I think one thing to keep in mind is that this new age of players is growing up on like, hey, this is this is pitching. Like you need to throw hard. That's what you're going to be evaluated on. You need to spin the ball. You need to like be nasty. Uh, those types of things are going to get you to your college, going to get you your draft status. I think, and I think it's why you're still seeing it with some guys that are in their mid thirties now, they never maybe did that when they were uh, 20, 25 or younger, you know what I mean? So they still have it in there. Um, And I think really what, what, what happened, if you look at the velocity skyrocket over the past about 20 years is people undervalued as odd as it sounds uh, the value of just trying to throw the ball hard. You know what I mean? Uh Uh, There's just too much time spent in the off season being risk averse maybe trying to develop a fourth pitch that, you know, uh, was going to have limited value or didn't have much role in the arsenal and really pitching less. Like literally the idea of going to the offseason, throwing a, you know, front hip sinker 
and instead just trying to throw the damn ball as hard as you can over the radius of the plate. Like, to be honest with you, I think it was, uh, I, th- I think it was, uh, damn it. I can't, I don't have the right word for it right now, but <laughs> the, it, it was not being, uh, trained as much as it should have been. You know what I mean? I think we're starting to hit that equilibrium now, but that's really, I, I think where, uh, pitching and in, in teams maybe went wrong for a long time. Well, I, I mean, I think, uh, like I said at the beginning, it, it was considered kind of bread in the bone. You threw as hard as you threw, or you hit as hard as you hit the ball. And that wasn't considered to be something you could teach. Um, you could teach, you know, grips, or you could teach, you know, sequencing and, 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 and speed control and all this stuff. But th- just throwing hard was not considered something you could teach. I, I want to go back and ask you, uh, uh, you, you, when you bring up the term training age, what is training age and how does that differ from, from chronological age? Sure. So, I mean, it, it'd be like if you, the best example I can give is if a kid was 18 years old and had never lifted weights versus a kid who was 17 and had been lifting with his high school football team for three years, that kid who's 18 years old, when he gets in the weight room and starts squatting, he's going to see more immediate gains. Whereas the other guy has kind of, he, I, he definitely hasn't plateaued at 17, certainly not. It was just an no. example, but he's not gonna, you know, a month into his lower body phase or whatever, that guy who's 18 with no training, with relatively little training, he's going to see a much bigger gain there earlier on. So those guys who have not been, uh, have not been basically given any of this type of training prior, their upside is higher, but every team's projections, right? The way teams quantify these things typically is not there, there's just not going to be data available on that. Now they probably the the good teams probably have some subjective notes or like they make sure to ask questions in a certain way to see that. But those things aren't going to be necessarily uh, you know in a, proje- a projection system. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, that yeah. is essentially the the training versus chronological thing. Do you find as you're working with people that you are sort of exploding traditional notions of the aging curve, both at the at the far end where, say, Alex Cobb is and where that 17 year old that you can really change the way our bodies mature and also hold on to peak performance longer through through uh, the the training uh, processes you guys have? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think the variation is narrowing a bit just because, like, to, to be honest with you, more teams were just like – and, again, I'm not saying now. I'm saying, like, five years prior in this, mm-hmm. like, over the past five years. Like, I think teams are figuring out they need to optimize for this more. And I think you're – again, you're seeing so, – some things that have happened is, like, the minor league velocity has gone up, but the minor league walk rate has gone up. So, like, right. teams are – there's two thoughts there. One, they're acquiring more of these guys because, like – if you've got 90 minor leaguers, you may as well take the guys who like have something quantifiable that stabilizes quickly, which would be stuff uh, over something else. If you're just like getting, get garnering roster spots. And then two, just the, you know, telling guys, Hey, you gotta, you gotta throw the sucker hard. You've got about a 0.6% shot at ever being a big leaguer anyway. So we want to try to uh, basically take on some variance there um, because you, your, your floor is just not high enough. Um, so, ahead, I mean, you talk about the importance of throwing hard, which I, I, everybody has always known that the more, the harder you throw, the you know the 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 better you can perform at high levels. Uh, the trade off of that used to be considered command, control, being able to throw strikes. 
how important is the trade-off uh, or is it a trade-off to you uh, the ability to throw hard and also throw where you want and and where do you try to find the balance between those two things when you're when you're helping guys right for one to be honest with you it's a difficult question to answer exactly just because the command data publicly available is pretty low you know what i mean and also yeah. We, we just don't have, we have stuff internally on like this distance where we try to configure where's the glove or within sessions at driveline, we can literally, like we know where the athlete's trying to throw the ball regardless of where the gloves, glove is. So we know exactly how much they're missing by, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now I would, I would garner to say if, if somebody tried to throw the ball as hard as they could all off season and didn't try to pitch at all, I would project they'd probably lose a little bit in command. Now I can't give you the exact amount, but what I will say is when a guy has a threshold of command already there. Um, and sometimes guys just need a better throwing program too. Sometimes it'll actually improve. But to give you the, the long form answer for everybody, what I've typically seen, if you look at guys who have gained a mile an hour, their, their walk rate actually tends to go down the next season. And, and part of that is they're ending at bats more. Uh, you know, two, two counts aren't, you know, there's not a foul ball, foul ball, uh-huh. ball, ball. Um, and then also they can throw some more of this contact inducing stuff, uh, or they can throw over the plate rather than to a quarter of the plate. So there's some, there's some, there's some tactical things you can do with increased velocity and increased stuff that maybe weren't, uh, thought, you know, it it was just considered disrespectful to pitching back in the day. You know what I mean? Uh So no, you got a front hip sinker, this guy, you gotta, you gotta get your breaking ball right on this half of the plate. Uh, if you missed over the plate with a fastball, it was the end of the world. And now I think it's become more accepted. Dude has good stuff. Hey, throw it, you know, throw it, throw it down the middle. Let's see this thing play. <laughs> and you're going to miss anyway. So when you get a hold of a, a, a guy and you're sort of breaking down his stuff and seeing where you can help him, what, which path is, is more important in your mind? Is it taking a, a player's strengths and making them, you know, better is it maximizing strength or is it identifying weaknesses and trying to minimize them which one of those two things has more impact do you think on on helping a guy's performance well i think you always there's always a threshold that has to be meet with you know if we use the basic term of stuff and velocity or stuff and command like yeah there just is a minimum threshold required for those two things you know what i mean like honestly when you if you see a picture with like 60 grade stuff and 60 grade command. Typically what happens is that guy's like a 70 or like 75, like it's just an insanely good pitcher, you know? So you see all of these guys that, you know, are either in the league for stuff, either in the league for command, or, you know, they're kind of a little bit below the big league average in both of them, but it kind of tends to end up as an average pitcher. Um, I think, I think for the most part, you're always sticking with strengths. Um, You know, if a guy can't throw a change up, for instance, there's, there's a, you can throw a cutter, you know, if you, if you have a tough time pronating a changeup, you can find ways in their arsenal to still get the kind of effect of a cutter, which is, you know, the, the idea mainly with those two pitches is uh, you want to negate the opposite hand uh, of who you're facing. Like if a righty's facing a lefty, lefty facing a righty. So I think that's an example of, of leaning into strengths. Um, it, it is kind of a connotation thing. Like I would also say the same thing with the changeup, right? Like, Forever, people have taught the changeup is like either just throw it or like turn it over. And now, really, what you can do is pretty much anybody can kind of throw a changeup, like just ignore command for the time being. Um, but it's the type of changeup that is thrown dependent on where your wrist position is. And uh-huh. that would be an example of, 
you know, I don't know if that's strength or weakness, but that's just like doing your job as a coach and having the information and know what grips uh, to utilize for that pitcher to get him to then throw that fade offering. But I certainly think um, it is a little bit to me, a chicken and the egg problem, right? Like if you've, if you've got a guy with really good stuff and his command is lacking, um, you, you, you probably should like change that guy's really good stuff, his pitch shapes to be a little bit easier to command in my opinion. But I think that's still in my head, that's still sticking to his strengths rather than, rather than forcing him to try to like generate, go from 30 to 40 command. Um, so it kind of depends how you look at it, but I'd say sticking with strengths for sure. So I want to talk about kind of pitch shape, the the process of pitch shape and the, the iterative process of, of pitch shape. What can you, I do start with the idea that I know I've seen this guy's, you know, biomechanics. I've seen how his body moves. I can figure out how to make him throw a really great splitter and then just iterate, you know, off the mound over and over and over until the, the, the feedback from the data is telling you, yes, we've, we've optimized how this guy can throw, or is there more experimentation um, in the lab and you, and you're just following the data and say, Oh, maybe we should try this. Maybe we should try this grip. Uh, How does that work for you? Do you have a plan that you're trying to achieve um, or do you just kind of free flow it as the data uh, tells you to go? Right. You're always, um, we'll, we'll just stick with like a minor league guy to make it simple. Cause sometimes these, sure. these MOB guys that got, you know, their pitches have in-game results. You've got to start taking that into account or they can't get like a righty out or a lefty out. And it kind of just changes your thought process. But, uh, for the most part, if you're just spe- speaking from a stuff standpoint, you, you should have it narrowed down to like, here's his arm angle. Here's his generally it's like fastball spin efficiency or some mechanical things as well. And the idea would be like, if I ask, you know, uh, an employee, they got this guy, they should be able to kind of mark off like, hey, we're going to go splitter here because of the arm angle. Uh, we're going to start with like, you know, a one seam in between grip uh, and we're going to give it four pitches. If that isn't working, we're going to try to like widen the fingers a little bit, um, depending on like what we're seeing. And that's kind of like the progression of it, so to speak. Um and then you're, there, there's definitely some art to it where you can't script out these things entirely. But uh, if you've got somebody who like is a really good supinator, like they get around the ball well and they haven't thrown a sweeper or they have a really high arm angle and they struggle to like pronate super well, those two guys, you probably are like, hey, we're going to like stick with that sweeper or that splitter uh, with a print, like regardless of the fail rate here for a pretty decent amount of time because there is so much underlying data that that guy should be able to get that pitch. And really what we do from there is re is iterate on our process for why did that take him 37 pitches? How can we make uh-huh. this go down to, to 20? You know what I mean? So you're trying to, you're trying to solve there. Every time somebody comes in, we're trying to get another data point for like, is this bad coaching or is our model, whatever you want to call it, like the spin efficiency. We just, we just missed something mechanically there that did not allow this guy to throw this pitch. And we need to like log it and make sure that when this unique example comes in again, we're at least aware of it um, and can get to that pitch shape a little bit quicker. Do you find that that athletes themselves have, you know, better sort of connection to their own body uh, that there's some athletes that can, can make those adjustments in two pitches rather than 37. And that, and that's 
innate or is that something that can be coached too? Uh, yeah, I think that's definitely it. Th- I mean, some guys can't spike the ball at first. Like, you know, if you give them a spike grip or something, cause you want to get some depth or just like make sure they're in front of the ball a little bit more without having to like cue it. Um, you'll get some guys who, who can't, who, who like literally will tell you, like I literally had a guy who ended up, um, I'll just say his name, uh, Brad Keller for, for the Royals. who's throwing yeah. two really nice breaking balls. Now he, his first, he one told me he could not spike his slider. Like I, I distinctly remember him telling him that. And I was, I've done like 200, 200, 250 of these by now. So, you know, I kind of had the guts to say, Hey, just keep like, trust me, man. I'm looking at this. Like I get it. Keep, keep trying it. And then he, uh, we, we go through that. Doesn't work. So we go to the curveball and he spikes it. First one is no joke, like 56 miles an hour. And like, it, it is just way off to the right. Not even close. You know what I mean? Well, long story short, like five pitches later, he throws one and I just hear him say out loud, he goes, well, maybe, maybe I can spike it. And then from there, it was just, <laughs> it was just smooth sailing. You know what I mean? So there's definitely, uh, there, there's definitely guys who could pick up on it sooner uh, than, than others. But I think the biggest thing is like the experience of going through these and knowing how to react to that situation. Um, Cause guys, yeah. I mean, in an ideal world, right. We've got uh, five, six pitch designs and that's what we tell these guys hey like the, the more time you give us the more we're going to be able to basically like sell out for a better profile versus like um you know if, you, if we don't have enough time there is a shot we kind of take the secondary profile so to speak that will maybe be a little bit more playable early but there's definitely guys who are more um have one they're more vocal about what they're feeling and i always mm-hmm. like that um and then two that just can maybe make the changes a, a little bit easier than others. And, and some of it comes down to things like, have they thrown a curveball before? Cause then they've at least tried to make a ball spin like that. So they might, they, they'll probably have a little bit better success with throwing like a sweeper, for instance. So uh, there is a classic sort of scouting saying that if you can spin it, you can spin it, which implies that if you can't spin it, you can't spin it. How much do you guys find that's true? Can you teach people to spin it in a way that wasn't, you know, thought uh, possible, you know, 15 years ago, maybe. So I think there's, if, if I'm taking it super literal, uh, there's two things there. One, like spinning a fastball is, is pretty difficult. Like I, I make the argument with what I currently know that like a four seam fastball is probably the toughest pitch to train. Like, yeah, you kind of got it or you don't to a certain degree. Like there's some things you can do with improving spin efficiency that maybe work in a more closed off environment. But when that guy goes through a game, he very often from what I've seen is going to revert back to whatever his like natural wrist function is, if that makes sense. Uh Um, With the other stuff, there's definitely things you can do to increase the the spin rate. I I would argue that the spin rate is probably not the most important thing is probably the biggest thing we're learning with some of these other pitches. Um, a lot of it really comes down to what's their current grip and is it bad? You know what I mean? If you got guys who have a good thought process with their grip, it's in the right position. Um, they're applying the right pressure. Then like, I, I, you know, from there, I, I don't necessarily think we have a great answer of how to increase spin rate or increase the, you know what I mean? In a way that like enhances the performance of the pitch. But what we are learning is there are ways for guys who spin breaking balls like 2000, 2200, to get like non-spin induced movement on their pitches, um, uh-huh. which is kind of the way you really get around it. Um, and, and really there is the, the non-spin induced movement is just like, 
you know, it, it, it's so important. It's why you're seeing kind of the sweeper takeoff. It's why you're seeing uh, some more of these unique changeups introduced in the game. You're seeing more guys who are uh, throwing some cutters because all of those pitches uh, we've basically learned are like pretty reliant upon that. And uh, there's just better info in the game for when the coach is messing up, so to speak. And it's like, hey, no, the, you you gave him the wrong grip, man. Like this, he, he couldn't throw a he couldn't throw a cutter because he's throwing with a two seam grip, you know. But you know, for for so long, how is you know it, that's not an intuitive thing to know, you know. Right. So now we kind of uh, now we have that information to a better degree, um, and so I think that's kind of I, I suppose where you'd say you can teach the spin or teach the pitch design. And, and now are you working with guys on, on tunneling too? Are you working on sort of release point as well as, you know, grips and, and, and some of the, some of the, you know, biomechanical uh, aspects of the delivery? Um, so it, it depends how drastic it is. Like if you've got guys who are a half foot different, of course, the, the, the honest odd thing about some of the data is that some of these guys who like Rich Hill who deviate in their release point, pitch to pitch, they, they tend to actually perform pretty well, but, it's also because, like, if I took the entire MLB sample of pitchers and told them to try to do that, they would just they, – they would not have the feel to do it. So there's some uh-huh. selection bias there that probably makes – really makes that question difficult to answer. Um, I've heard there is some somewhat of a penalty when guys drop down, like, four or five inches. Um, but we don't have a ton of guys, I'd say, that, like, are that absurd in the threshold. I would say my biggest thing with the tunneling thing is that uh, – it, it kind of just depends on how you're defining this. Like gyro pitches, uh, these like firmer pitches are generally just going to get more swings in general. And I think a lot of people, when they look at tunneling, they're looking at like chase rate, things like that. But really, I, I think one of the biggest things to understand is just like the, the value of the sweeper, the value of some of these uh, bigger curveballs is that uh, they generate takes in the zone, you know? So um, I think it, starting there and just explaining like that thought process to me, tunneling, is more in my opinion about like you need a guy who needs to get more swings. Like you, you have a guy who struggles a little bit with command and his fastball is over here and his slider is way over here. Sorry, I'm realizing now this is a video. <laughs> this but is not YouTube, but it, it's okay. yeah, the, but if you got a guy with a fastball that's 12 inches arm side, his slider 16 inches glove side, that's a lot of separation. So if this guy does not have good command and you're trying to induce more swings so he's not reliant on landing the slider, you need to tighten it up. Or you can, what a lot of guys do now is just add a cutter in the middle uh, and the hitter right, perceives right. that it makes it a little more difficult uh, would basically be the theory. But uh, what I what I've tend to see is pitches that are close to this fastball naturally uh, are going to get just more swings and more chase uh, off the plate. Yeah, there, there's a pitcher in the Giants system, Keaton Wynn, who I, I know the Giants have given a cutter to kind of like be that middle pitch between his fastball, which is pretty good, and his splitter, which is really, really good uh, to kind of like complicate that decision tree for hitters um i i've only got a few minutes uh, left and one thing i wanted to ask you driveline has been so successful um you have a great quote on your twitter bio a, a nice bond mod from voltaire that uh I, I doubt is a is an um uncomfortable position but certainty is an absurd one how do you guys fight the certitude that can come with your level of success and remain open-minded and, and skeptical in the best sense and not, you know, fall prey to, to the, the feeling like we know what we're doing, you know, we can do this, trust us. How do you continue to be the open-minded sort of 
following the data thought leaders you guys have been uh, for several years? Right. I mean, there's always, everybody's always biased, right? Like I'm biased, you know, that everybody can, you know, I can answer that question and I can in theory be like somebody who maybe struggles with that at times. I don't necessarily, I think I tend to have a decent grasp on how, you know, my title as a director of pitching or the word driveline can basically give people uh, maybe misleading confidence in anything I say, right? So I think having awareness and then also perspective, like um, this is, I, I'm just saying this because I know driveline, this is how a lot of the employees are, is they're, they're employees that probably, to be frank with you, didn't get like the, you know, the hottest girlfriend in high school. They, <laughs> they, uh, they have maybe, they had to maybe struggle through some things. They, they weren't in the boys club to, to get the, the job in pro ball. So they tend to have a perspective of, damn, this this kind of finally came together. Uh, and, and their first thought generally on the way they think is they think back to, you know, uh, how much like randomness and some of these things that aren't necessarily components of the employee's true talent level maybe got them to where they are. So when, when you kind of think like that, you're always a, a bit susceptible to buying into how good you are. Uh, and I think it keeps you focused on like, Hey, how, how much of this is really like, did, did I actually earn? You know what I mean? I'm always skeptical with myself on that. And I think generally employees here are as well. So I think that's probably the biggest thing is just like the, a lot of our employees being uh, aware of how noise uh, can kind of interrupt what somebody's opinion is of you or like how a title can overly influence how people perceive your analysis you know so i'm always personally i'll tell you personally i'm always pretty skeptical of sort of what i know uh and to be frank for a long time you know i was coaching junior college ball i was 23 years old with uh you know i was just a pitching trainer talking to like a big leaguer uh that's what i had to do right like i wasn't going to get by with uh, hey, this guy right here, like, listen to him. It, it was going to be like a, it was going to be an assault on, on logic and data. And it was going to, it was going to cost some weekends or, or some enjoyable time to really make sure I mined through that data and presented it in a good way. So I think perspective of what the employees here are like and the, the ethos, and that's just typically what driveline employees are. So, um, I think that's probably the, the biggest thing is just understanding uh, there's a lot of noise involved in this. And we're, we're generally a little bit hesitant in my estimation um, to, to feel too good about any one particular, you know, performance or off season. Yeah. You guys have been, I think uh, a word that's heard a lot, but disruptors in the best possible way and, and really opened the industry and the players in the industry up to, to, to new levels of, of achieving their best performance. And, and, and that's fascinating and leads to all kinds of great success stories. I can't thank you enough, Chris, for, for coming on and, and talking baseball with me a little bit. This has been really, really fascinating for me. Awesome. Anytime, Roger. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. And uh, all my friends out there, I'll be back next week to talk a little more, more Giants uh, prospect-specific baseball on their Giants podcasts. I think it's a special pouring out of my head. I think it's a special pouring out of my head. I'm feeling in work, you know I'm feeling in bed. Can't get the special pouring out of my head.